0: It's one thing to claim something, it's another to back it up. This is Evidence and Answers with scholar, author, and apologist Pat Zuckerman, who defends the Christian faith all over the world. And today on Evidence and Answers, we're going to talk about the authority of the Bible. Many holy texts claim to be inspired. Many claim to be the Word of God. The Bible makes similar claims. So how does the Christian defend the authority of the Bible? Pat Zuckerman, this is really a question that kind of gets to the crux of so many things when we're talking about the Bible. Does the Bible have authority?
1: Yes, Kevin, you know, wherever we go and travel throughout the world and in our debates, that's one of the questions that arise. How do you know the Bible is the uniquely divinely inspired Word of God? And as Christians, we believe that God has revealed himself through general revelation, through nature, through what he has created, but special revelation, God revealing a special message in a special way to human beings, has come through his son, Jesus Christ, and second, through his word, the divinely inspired word of God, which we Christians believe to be the Bible. Now, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, he claims that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, the word God-breathed there is the Greek word theopneustos, and that means literally that God breathed His life, His words, into the text of the Bible. When we breathe on a mirror, we get fog. When God breathed... We got the text of the Old and New Testament. So the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God and what separates it from all other books. I mean, this is a very unique book. When I began investigating the claims of Christ in the Bible, I realized that all the books of the world, you can put them on one shelf on one side of the room, but the Bible, you're going to have to put it on a shelf all by itself. It's that unique. It's the only book that is affirmed, to be the divinely inspired Word of God. It's the only book that has the supernatural confirmation that affirms its claim to be the divinely inspired Word of God. That's what makes it unique.
0: Pat, you mentioned something earlier. You talked about how God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So do Christians believe that the Bible is one way that God reveals himself? Uh, a lot of people seem to think that it's, it's the only way, but you mentioned various ways that God reveals himself.
1: Right. General revelation is how God has revealed himself through nature and through what he has created and the moral conscience. Romans chapter 1 and 2 cover that. Special revelation is the way God has intervened in time and history to reveal a specific message regarding himself and how to have a relationship with him and what he is like. And God has invaded time and space through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the incarnate. Son of God, and through His Word, the Bible.
0: Well, let's start then with the main question that you're introducing, the uniqueness of the Bible and so on. And in our introduction, we talked about that there are many books that claim to be the Word of God. Well, why should we believe the Bible to be the unique Word of God over these other books that make similar
1: claims? Well, the reason is that the Bible is uniquely, it uniquely has supernatural confirmation that affirms its claim to be the divinely inspired Word of God.
0: In other words, it can demonstrate what these other books can't demonstrate.
1: Right. You know, God confirms his message and his messengers through miracles. And uh, the Bible is the only book with this kind of supernatural confirmation.
0: Let's talk some uh, about some more ways then that the Bible is confirmed to be the inspired Word of God.
1: Well, the first one is that Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, affirms the divine inspiration of the Bible. Now, this presupposes that we have built a case that Jesus Christ is indeed the divine Son of God. Now, that's not the focus of this show. You're going to have to assume that we've already done this, and we have. In fact, there's a new feature on our website it's called iShows, where you can download uh, each individual show for just 250, and you can download the series we have on the uniqueness of Christ not only do i do a series presenting the evidence for jesus christ being the divine son of god also we have one of the top scholars in the country on the resurrection dr gary habermas presents a case for the uniqueness of christ and the resurrection and you can download those shows they're 30 minute shows that you can download for 250 on our website evidenceandanswers.org just like you download a song on itunes These are iShows that you can download each individual show you want. And we've got some of the top scholars on there. Dr. Norman Geisler, Dr. Craig Evans, Hugh Ross, and others are on there. You can pick your shows and download them. And you can download the series on the uniqueness of Christ. And also you can read our articles on the uniqueness of Christ and the resurrection. So through his sinless, miraculous life, Jesus Christ confirmed himself to be the divine Son of God. And Jesus affirms the divine inspiration of the Bible. Because Jesus is God incarnate, what he says is authoritative. And Jesus affirmed the authority of the Old Testament directly and affirms the authority of the New Testament indirectly. You
0: know, a lot of people at this point, Pat, make a real bad mistake by saying, well, that's circular. The Bible says that Jesus said the Bible was inspired and so forth. But what breaks up that circle is, I would suggest, that uh, another area that we've dealt with and that you can get at evidenceandanswers.org is that the New Testament documents are reliable. And so we have the words and deeds of Jesus accurately preserved, and we know what he claimed from the eyewitnesses and so on. And so Jesus made this claim, and then we add that into the evidence that he's authoritative and we get a case that Jesus put his stamp of approval on the Old Testament and promised the New Testament.
1: Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up, Kevin. In fact, I remember you bringing it up in our debate against the atheists. That was very good. When you test the document's historical validity, you look at the internal evidence, the external evidence, and the bibliographic evidence. And the bibliographic evidence, uh, we're going to cover all three of these in the show. Hopefully, we will have time to cover all three. But confirms we have a very ac- the uh, accurate recording of the words of Christ. In fact, you could you can uh, download our show on the historical accuracy of the Gospels. We interview one of the top New Testament scholars, Dr. Daryl Bach, on that whole issue. Or you can read our articles. So we have a very accurate historical document in the Gospels that record that Jesus lived a very unique, miraculous, sinless life, and that he rose from the dead, and he. His words have been accurately recorded. He confirms the inspiration of the Old and New Testament. And you know, Kevin, something uh, to point out: as Jesus confirms the Old New Test the Old Testament directly and the New Testament indirectly, Jesus also confirms many of the stories in the Old Testament as historical events. Many which liberals deny, Jesus confirms as being historically true. Jesus affirms the historical existence of Adam and Eve Noah and the ark the mosaic authorship of the first five books or the Pentateuch the story of Jonah and the whale, Sodom and Gomorrah, the existence of King David and Solomon Jesus affirms all these figures as historic you know Kevin I was in a speaking in a very liberal church on a Sunday morning and we're talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we were getting off on the Q&A time and we're going on on some side issues and I began talking about uh, sin and the price of sin that needs to be paid what occurred in Genesis chapter 3 and everyone in the class looked at me and said well we know the first 10 chapters of Genesis are all myth you know and I just kinda looked at them and I said well Jesus affirmed them to be true Jesus affirmed the existence of Adam and Eve in fact Jesus died for what happened in Genesis chapter 3 And I said, Jesus also affirms Noah and the ark. So if you deny those as non-historical, as as mythology, then really you're denying the words of Jesus. Isn't
0: it amazing that people sitting in a a Christian church would have a lower view of history and have a lower view of the Bible than Jesus himself had, yet they call themselves Christians, Christ followers. So that uh, that is rather problematic
1: right you know and Kevin I'm no longer surprised when I go into churches and get responses like that when I first began speaking 15 20 years ago I I I really got knocked off the stool when people would bring up issues like that now I'm no longer surprised we see that kind of thinking more and more pervasive and you really need to be ready uh, to defend uh, the Word of God and really know not only what you believe but why you believe because Uh, There's a lot of liberal teaching, but also, you know, Christians were finding to be ill-prepared to defend uh, what they believe in the teachings of the Bible.
0: Jesus affirmed that. So we have the confirmation of the Son of God for the authority of the Bible. What are some other things that uh, confirms the Bible as inspired?
1: Well, we have several uh, as we look at the internal evidence first. The first one is the argument from unity or consistency that from Genesis to Revelation there is a consistency there hundreds of topics are covered and the Bible does not contradict itself and we have one theme God's redemption of mankind goes from beginning to the end well what's so significant about that you may ask well consider this that the Bible is written by over 40 different authors from very different backgrounds Moses is educated in Egypt, Peter is an uneducated fisherman, Paul is a Pharisee who is very well educated, Micah is a country shepherd. You've got over 40 different authors writing on three different continents, Europe, Asia and Africa. They're writing under various different circumstances. Jeremiah is writing as he's seeing the fall of the nation of Israel and the capture of the city of Jerusalem and the deportation of its people. David is writing during the golden rule of the Israelite empire, Paul and Peter are writing while Israel is under Roman occupation. They're writing under various different circumstances and writing over a 1500-year period. Now you put all that together and you get something amazing. There's despite the diversity, there's a consistency of theme. There's a consistency in theology and a consistency on Numerous controversial issues: the nature of man, the origin of evil.
0: You know, one of the ways to bring this out, Pat, I think, mm-hmm. would be to get ten people in any neighborhood in North America and have them write an essay on one controversial subject, and then when you compare those ten essays, you would get uh, uh, just a host of of opinions, many contradicting each other, and so forth, and yet. That would be just ten people from the same general region and culture. You take forty authors, sixty-six books, three continents, three languages, three uh, heights of joy, heights of despair. Uh, then I think that really brings out the unity that you're talking about.
1: Right. You know, one of the illustrations I like to use is take ten medical students who graduate from the same medical school in the same year. Have them write on four controversial subjects: euthanasia, abortion homosexuality and cloning and have them write four extensive essays on those four subjects would they all agree with each other on every point you
0: would get a menagerie yeah right
1: yeah the Bible you've got over 40 different authors writing in various circumstances uh, in uh, different parts of the country over a 1500 year period and there's amazing consistency there there's there's really no book like it no book comes close
0: the affirmation of Jesus, then the unity of the scriptures also points to its divine inspiration. Uh, what else can we look at?
1: Well, you know, we have the special credentials of the biblical authors. You know, no book has been supernaturally confirmed to be the word of God except the Bible. And one of the supernatural confirmations are the authors. They're written by prophets of God who confirm their credentials, many with supernatural signs and wonders. You know, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4 says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the holy spirit according to his own will no other book has been written by authors who are confirmed in a miraculous manner and we know that the gospels are a very accurate historical work written by first century uh, eyewitness authors and they record that not only christ but the apostles confirmed their calling from god with supernatural miracles and we know also that the old testament prophets, Many of them confirm their call from God with supernatural signs and wonders. There's no other authorship or authors of holy books uh, in the other world religions who confirm their calling from God or you know wh- whatever divine being they want to assign themselves to, who confirm their calling with supernatural signs and wonders like the prophets and the apostles. That also is something very unique. Then we have the whole exciting area of biblical prophecy. Now, the Bible predicts over 700 events that have been predicted in the Bible. No other book comes close. And many of these prophecies are remarkable in its accuracy and remarkable in its detail. I mean, people are named before birth, kingdoms described before existing, Uh, personal destinies laid out before the persons are born. And J. Barton Payne, in his book, The Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, records that there are over 700 separate matters that are predicted in the Bible. In fact, regarding the life of Jesus Christ, there are over 100 messianic prophecies made of Christ before he even sets foot upon the earth. No other book, there's no other book that comes close when it comes to the record of prophecy like the Bible. Now, let me just uh, give you an example. Like I said, there's over 700, so we could spend all day going through numerous examples. I'll just give you about two or three. You know, Ezekiel 26, it's a prophecy made on the city of Tyre. It's written by the prophet Ezekiel in about 587 BC. And this is what he writes I'm against you, O Tyre, and I'll bring many nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out in the sea she will become a place to spread fishnets. For I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. And Later on in verse 12 he writes, They will plunder your wealth, loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and demolish your fine houses and throw your stones and timber and rubble into the sea. I will put an end to your noisy songs and the music of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock, and you will become a place to spread fish nets. You will never be rebuilt, for I the Lord have spoken, declares the Lord. Now there's a pretty specific prophecy Mm -hmm. there, that this city of Tyre, located in present-day southern Lebanon, that this city would be destroyed, it would be a bare rock, it would never be rebuilt, and the stones of the city would be thrown into the ocean and in the end it would become a place where fishermen come and spread their fishnets what a specific prophecy here that was made in 587 BC now about 10 years later Nebuchadnezzar comes from the north and lays siege to the city of Tyre and destroys the city of Tyre just levels it to the ground well the people escape from the mainland city of Tyre and they get in boats and they travel about half a mile offshore to the island city of Tyre and there this island city of Tyre becomes a very powerful port city for many centuries now in 333 BC Alexander the Great coming down from Greece on his way to Egypt comes by the city of Tyre now he has no Navy and he needs supplies and he also knows that if things go bad in Egypt He needs to have a retreat back to Greece. And not knowing what the people of Tyre may do, they may cut him off from the north as he tries to retreat. So he realizes he needs to take care of the city of Tyre. And so he asks them for supplies, but they will not give him any. And they think, well, since they're half a mile offshore and he's got no navy, there's no way that they can be captured or attacked by Alexander the Great. Well, being the masterful strategist he is, guess what Alexander does? takes the debris from the mainland city of Tyre and throws it into the ocean and builds a causeway to the island city of Tyre. Wow. And he captures the island city of Tyre and levels it to the ground. And Alexander's causeway or his bridge is still there to this day. In fact, that's
0: exactly what the uh, the, the, the prophecy said, that uh, it would be thrown into the
1: sea. Right, uh huh, and his causeway is still there. When you go and visit Lebanon and city of Tyre, you can walk across Alexander's causeway here. Uh, I have a aerial photograph of it. It's a great tourist attraction site even to this day, as a testimony to biblical prophecy. And he levels the island city of Tyre, and centuries later, in about 1200 AD, the Muslims come and completely level off that island city of Tyre.
0: Well, that. Fulfills the prophecy that you first read, the first verse, and that is that many nations would come against you, Tyre and Sidon. And that's exactly what happened. So it happened over time, and uh, it happened exactly. Have you ever seen pictures of the fishing nets? I think there's some from the 1940s.
1: Right. I got some right here that we're looking at here. That if you go to Tyre today, to where the city once stood, you'll find it to be a bare rock. And close by, along that port you'll find a small fishing village and guess what the fishermen do with their nets (laughs) they spread them out on a bare rock where that once mighty city was and that's where they repair their fishnets wow fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel
0: we could do a whole show just on the prophecy of Tyre and Sidon amazing
1: yeah you know here's another one Daniel chapter 9 talks about the 77s the 70 weeks now if you um, read the prophecy and you uh, calculate the days that he's talking about Harold Horner does a great work on it in his book the prophecy begins with the decree of Artaxerxes in 444 BC now if you calculate the 69 sevens which is 483 years and you have to multiply that by 360 that because the Jewish calendar has 360 days when you calculate all of that Guess what date you come up with? You come up with uh, a date in March of 33 AD. In other words, Daniel 9 predicts the day in which Christ enters Jerusalem and the day he is crucified. It is a remarkable, remarkable prophecy. Uh, There's really no other book that comes close when it comes to prophecy like the Bible. Daniel chapter 2 predicts the four coming empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome
0: pat a lot of skeptics will say well how do we know that these accounts these prophecies were written before their fulfillment how do we know that they weren't written afterwards and were just uh, made to look like they were fulfilled
1: right you know that's a question we get from skeptics all the time now that criticism often comes when it comes to the messianic prophecies of Christ uh, over 100 prophecies are made of Christ before he ever sets foot upon the earth and many claim that these prophecies were inserted into the Old Testament text. Well we have discovered one of the great manuscript discoveries the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in about 1945. The Dead Sea Scrolls were dated anywhere from the second century BC to about the first century AD written by the Essenes. And what we discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls we discovered manuscripts or fragments from every book of the Old Testament and many of the Messianic prophecies were there. And for example, the scroll of Isaiah uh, dated to be about 150 BC. We found fragments from the book of Daniel. All of these dating to have been written at least, at least 100 to 200 years before Christ set foot upon the earth. So even if you don't want to acknowledge that Isaiah wrote Isaiah or Daniel wrote Daniel, at least 100 years before Christ set foot upon the earth, these prophecies were already written and Christ fulfilled each one of them.
0: That we can be confident as Christians that the Bible is authoritative and they can be backed up by evidence. Uh, We're going to continue this show and do a part two. We're going to continue looking at the authority of the Bible. Uh, what about prophecies in other religious works? How do they compare with Bible prophecy? Uh, archaeology. We've already mentioned a little archaeology. What about uh, archaeology in the Bible as far as confirmation? What about science in the Bible? The skeptic says that science contradicts the biblical teaching. And a lot of people as well say, well, uh, you can't say the Bible is authoritative because it has been corrupted over time. And our Muslim friends say that quite a lot, in fact. We'll continue this look at the authority of the Bible next time. I want to remind you that if you go to evidenceandanswers.org, evidenceandanswers.org, the shows, articles, resources are available right there. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckeran on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name it just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Sukarin. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org